Star Wars fun for everyone, especially me. I like the sound of that. Hey everybody, welcome to Star Wars fun for everyone, especially me. I am your host, Tom Sutton. I'm back. I've had a bit of a break. Um, you know, people often do that kind of thing around Christmas and New Year's, and I think that after... Um, after Mandalorian season two, and after that uh, unbelievable uh, news tsunami that happened, it was just like a crazy couple of months and a really fun couple of months. So I thought, um, yep, time for a little bit of a, a break after that lot. Um, but uh, the Star Wars fun has not stopped, though. There has been no break. From the Star Wars obsession, that's for damn sure. Um, yeah, I think uh, the glow of um, Mandalorian season two is still uh, still there. Absolutely, you know, you still see a lot of people talking about the show. A lot of people are still uh, really excited about it. Um, you might have seen the uh, the behind the scenes documentary on Disney Plus. So this was, uh, I think, it's called. Um, what was it? Disney Gallery, The Mandalorian something. Um, it's a long title. Yeah, uh, the first season, you know, eight episodes of The Mandalorian and eight episodes of the documentary was awesome. Um, I guess people were kind of hoping for the same thing this season, but uh, I think A, because you don't really have to have people talk about the basics of what the show is anymore, because we already know what the show is about. Uh, so that kind of aspect of things has gone. But also, I, th I think uh, the COVID-19 situation has had a big impact because um, it was a... Uh, was it a, a, an hour? Yeah, I think it was about an hour uh, for the entire season rather than eight individual episodes. It pretty much went uh, chronologically through the episodes... Uh, looking at and you know gave each director their chance to talk about what they did um it was super good actually i loved it um i love behind the scenes stuff in general just because i'm really interested in filmmaking and that ah uh, i don't know that kind of stuff is always bittersweet to me because i always love it but i also feel really jealous <laughs> i'm always like why can't i be there making star wars um but, uh, yeah, the, this particular documentary was put together beautifully. Um, the tone and the pacing was great. And a lot of the, the imagery in there was, was really nice. Really great to see. Um, yeah, I've only seen it once at this point. Um, but I would be interested in um, watching that a second time for sure. Uh, yeah, which leads me to... So it's been Christmas, and I decided to uh, give myself some Christmas presents, basically. <laughs> and um, listen, I've been into Star Wars toys since I was four years old or something. Um, and, uh, you know, I, it's, it's not something I really got back into seriously at any point since then, since the, or the original trilogy era. Um, I think when I lived in Japan, I bought a you know a figure here or there. Um, 
I know that I've got a really sweet snowtrooper that my dad has nicked and put it in his kitchen. I'm going to have to ask him about that. But um, I never really went out of my way to buy more figures um, until a couple of years ago, maybe. Two or three years ago. Um, I know what, like a couple of things happened. Like, for example, my friend Ulla gave me a, uh, a Luke Skywalker, a, a Luke, Luke in Stormtrooper uh, outfit figure of his uh, as a gift. That was really nice. And Jamie Elton, another friend of mine, gave me a General Maydeen figure that he had back home in England. Um, so that kind of, I had those to put in the house. And then when I, when I moved to my current um, apartment, I, I found this uh, toy vintage toy slash comic book shop around the corner um, that was selling a bunch of like basically Force Awakens, Last Jedi, and Rogue One era figures. Uh, they were all on special, so I was like, oh, oh, I wouldn't mind a couple of them. So I, I, you know, I picked up a couple and then you kind of end up going back again and again, uh, especially when things are on, on sale, you know. And before we knew it, I started, you know, the, the range of figures on my spice rack in my kitchen was getting bigger. Um, and since then, you know, I've maybe bought a couple of things online, but, you know, I am on what, I, what I've called before a musician's income. And... Um, uh, I just, you know, I didn't have the didn't have the income to make a habit of it, but it was Christmas and I just was in the mood. So um, I, uh, yeah, I bought a bunch of stuff, um, including so a six inch black series uh, Han and La Lando from the from Solo, a Star Wars story. They look fantastic, man. I've I've like. I've kind of um, avoided the Black Series up till now just because, um, you know, everything in my house is the the classic three and three quarter inch size. And it, I, I like how the figures look together. And I feel like once I start getting like different scale figures, it's just going to ruin my whole thing. So I've kind of like, and also they're more expensive, obviously. Uh, so I've kind of avoided those figures up to this point. Um but I love I love that movie. Um, I love Lando's outfit, the yellow and black outfit. And so I I remember I think I saw those figures in that shop around the corner. And then once I finally was like, all right, I'm just gonna go get them. They were already sold. So uh, when I saw these online for a pretty decent price, I was like, bam, grabbing those. And they look super cool. Like. The, you know, basically, you know, figures need, to, the sculpt needs to be good on a figure, um, but the, your ability to pose them in cool, movie-accurate ways is also a big part of the, the thing. And these two, just like, they look great. You can po really pose them well. And um, yeah, it's funny. Like, sometimes, you know, I guess other people in, you know, in these kind of... Uh, fandoms have, have had the same experience where you kind of question yourself a bit and go like, should a middle-aged person be spending time and money and energy on toys? 
I'm not sure if uh, <laughs> if we should be really, but um, the magic is so much, so it's still there in a big way for me. Like, like I've been obsessed with music for a long time, but I have to say, like the excitement around like records and stuff is kind of gone for me at this point. Maybe it'll come back someday, but I'm not that excited about record collecting. I haven't been buying it. I think basically I. Once I decided to have a crack at really being a musician and I stopped buying albums, then I, I don't know, I lost my taste for it a bit. Then it hasn't really come back. Um, but uh, yeah, the, so those two look awesome. I grabbed, oh, this, was a, this is something I had my eye on for ages, Emphis Nest and her swoop bike. Um, it's sitting right there on top of the... Oh, i got to tell you about that. Anyway, um, it's sitting right, right across there from me. Um, I just love Emphis Nest. The design, the character. I like the backstory. I like how she moves. She looks awesome when she's fighting. His swoop bike is killer. How she rides it is killer. I just, I just love that character. Um, I've got at least three pictures of her on my walls here in my apartment and now I have her and her sweet bike and I uh, yeah I'm enjoying that a great deal and this is the thing like you know I don't buy this stuff just for the sake of like collecting like I won't buy stuff just because I'm like oh I haven't got this so I just need to get it I buy stuff that triggers that that Star Wars feeling and it's funny like Having Star Wars posters, uh, like stills from the films and stuff on my walls, that gives me one experience. But having the characters kind of in three dimensions in my apartment gives me another experience. And it really, as I said, it really kind of triggers a, a, a feeling of like, oh, I like that little flash of like, oh, I'm in the Star Wars universe in a way. Galaxy, should I say. So, um, yep, Emphis Nest, great. Um, collectors will know of a line called the Vintage Collection, and it's like really good quality figures uh, in classic, uh, classic Kenner style packaging. And pfft, I mean, oh, it actually hurts me that I can't buy them all. It hurts. But anyway, I got three of those, and what I got was Boba Fett, Empire Strikes Back. Darth Vader from Rogue One and the Mandalorian himself. And all three figures look killer. Um, one, um, one kind of thing that I was a bit unsure about was, uh, so Vader has a soft goods cape and it does billow out quite a lot. It doesn't really hang. It's kind of like it's flying out there. But what I kind of... You know, I like to arrange figures in a way of where you or you can almost imagine like it's a scene from one of the films, and um, I've kind of arranged that Vader almost uh, like at the end of Rogue One, where the the Tantive has escaped and he's standing there in that airlock or whatever, staring out into space as the ship moves away and the his cape is flapping around. So I've kind of arranged it like that. Um, and I've got a stormtrooper behind him, and I've got another stormtrooper on the way to make it a bit more, uh, a bit more accurate that way. So that's cool. Uh, what else? To, oh, Leia from 
uh, Empire Strikes Back from the you know it's a Echo Base outfit. She looks super good. Oh, I got K two S O, which completes the you know the main main three um, from Rogue One. So just to see the silhouette of those three just really makes me go like, ooh, Rogue One. I'm living in the Rogue One world. I love it. It's a great looking figure. I mean, I think that's the cool thing with like droids and creatures. Like it's hard to make. But I mean, I would say like. The human figures look better than they ever have. Like their likenesses have gotten better and better and better, and they're fantastic these days. But the droids and the creatures are always going to look more accurate to our human eyes. And that K2SO one uh, looks killer. Um, yeah, they, I got that. Uh, it was it was like a Rogue One pack, and it had so I had a, I had one Generoso that I already had, but the other three I didn't have. So I was like, yeah grabbing that and it was um uh edrio two tubes which is like oh like one of my favorite designs from any of the new films i just think it's such a good looking character and i love his voice fantastic so he's there and uh saw guerrera a killer looking saw guerrera man it's like it looks so it's like crazy to it's in you know that scale is small you know when you think about it, when you were a kid, it didn't seem that small. But as an adult, it is a small scale, you know. But um, that Saw Gerrera figure looks fantastic. And the other one in there was the uh, tank trooper or tank driver, tank commander. I don't know what the correct term is that was driving that that um, the, the tank with the kyber crystals loaded on it in Rogue One. He looks a bit weird. He's a bit like knocked need or something. So that one I've placed somewhere where you can, uh, av- <laughs> you don't have to see the goofy looking bits of it. Um, yeah, I think that's that's kind of it. But um, yeah, I just, yeah, like I said, I kind of question it sometimes. Like, I'm not six years old anymore. Should I really be into this? But man, I just, I really, I really enjoy it. And it's really bad because... I just might want to buy more and more of this stuff, and it's also like I don't, I don't want to buy it and put it in a in a cupboard or something. It has to be, like I take everything out of the packages. I don't keep anything in their pack in the package, and um, I really want to like have it somewhere that that works. It works with the with the with the room in a way. So um, I can't have too much stuff, but yeah. Especially when I look at the, the vintage collection stuff, like the packaging looks sick. The quality of the figures is like 10 out of 10. Yep, I love it. All right. But um, yeah, I. if anyone ever wants to buy me more Star Wars figures, go right ahead. All right. Other big news recently uh, was the kickoff on the High Republic era. Brand new era in Star Wars. Um it is exciting to have an era that we're unfamiliar with, set 200 years before The Phantom Menace. Um, I support all that. That's great. Um, the, I guess, you know, get my reservations out of the way first. Um, the, the concept art that has come out to accompany these, uh, these new books, like the ships look super good. I like all those. 
but the uh, and some of the, the the concept art for the characters looks good, but a lot of it looks a bit cheap to me. Like when you see concept art for the the concept artists who work on the films, those character illustrations they're so they're so deep somehow, and uh, a lot of the concept work for the High Republic stuff it looks like. Like the kind of character illustrations on the inlay of a video game booklet or something, or maybe like a role-playing game book from the eighties or something. It says, eh. I don't know. And that, also, like all the Jedi are depicted as looking very prequelish with these like very pristine white and gold robes, and that's that's not my cup of tea, to be honest. Um, what I've actually been doing is finding concept art of characters from not even from star wars who look jedi-ish to me and kind of because it's so hard like i mean when you read books that don't come along with all this visual stuff you're absolutely free to visualize stuff however you like however it's described however you um however you read that 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 description whatever impression it makes um you're free to create it in your mind the way you like it but when they do release stuff like this, it's so hard. Once you see an image, it's it's in the memory forever, really. Um, so uh, I'm kind of trying to erase those versions of the characters since, you know, I just I want to enjoy the story. And um, if, yeah, if I can, and since I'm not a fan of the prequels, anything that kind of smacks of the prequel era is not going to, not going to really be my favorite thing, I guess. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's what I'm doing there. I'm almost I've almost finished the first book, uh, Light of the Jedi by Charles Soule. And, yeah, it's good. Uh, people, Some people have gone nuts for it. Like, best Star Wars book ever level reaction. Um, I think it is, like, it's a pretty, like, tightly written book. There's not a lot of piss fighting about. Um, which is uh, a great thing. Sometimes it feels like like the con like a, the concept for a Star Wars book was a bit thin to begin with, and the writers have had to pad things out a bit to um, in order to you know make their word count in a way. Uh, this doesn't feel like that. Um, there, it's a. One thing about the book is there's no like main character. There's like about a hundred new characters, and a lot of people have said it's a bit tricky to keep track of everyone because it's there's so many, and no, there's no like core two or three that you follow. It's um, you jump around quite a lot, um, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty strong story. Um, I once I have once I get the Jedi in my mind looking the way I, I would like them to look, then I like their portrayal. Um, it's it is cool. Um, the the villains. It's interesting. Like some people have again gone nuts for it. You know, in these uh, the release event that they had on the, that YouTube uh, video where they had the authors all talking about it and stuff. And they were like, yeah, the Neil, it's not like nothing we've seen before. It's really unique and blah, blah, blah. And maybe it's going to get 
more unique as it as we learn more and more about them, but I'm almost at the end of the book, and I have to say they don't strike me as being much different to like Ravages in Guardians of the Galaxy or something, to be honest. Um, but things they could get to be more interesting as time goes on. Let's see. So I think it's cool. Um, am I sad that it's not a film or an animated show? No. To me, this is... It's like... I don't read this going like, oh, I wish they had put this on screen. Uh, it's just... It's good. I'm liking... I'm enjoying it. Um, but, I mean, I have to say, if it wasn't for The Acolyte, which is uh, Leslie Headland's show... Um, being set at the end of this era, I might not even be bothering, to be honest. Um, just because, you know, the artwork has not appealed to me. And, like, I've read a lot of Star Wars books. And, but I think I was reading most of them, like, before the prequels came out and then between between the prequel era and the sequel trilogy era. It was it never was a main source of Star Wars for me. And I just think like, you know, George Lucas has said um, that, you know, a, a massive percentage of what Star Wars is, is the visuals and the music. And guess what books don't have? Visuals or music. <laughs> so I just feel like... They're not, it's not the best vessel for a Star Wars experience. So I was reading those books a lot more back, I was reading Star Wars books a lot more back then because there was nothing else. And I just needed that some kind of Star Wars fix. And now, A, we have 11 films. B, we have like three like good quality animated shows. And we have The Mandalorian. And then we have like, immeasurable amounts of uh, on-screen Star Wars on, uh, just, you know, in production right now. And also we have, like, podcasts to talk about it. And in a way, like, just being able to listen to a podcast gives me that Star Wars... Uh, that's piece of Star Wars nutrition for the week or whatever, you know. Um, or for the day. Um, so, yeah, it's cool. I'm not going crazy for it the way some people are, but I'm glad that it... It's getting a good reaction. It seems like a solid base for them to work from. And as more is revealed, it could get more and more interesting, I guess. All right. We are going to jump into, like, uh, you know, I think I mentioned, you know, I have read parts of this book before. Um, just going to grab it. So this is, uh, yeah. J.W. Rinsler's incredible The Making of the Empire Strikes Back. It was given to me by my brother for my 40th birthday. Now, four years later, I finally finished it. Um, but I had a, just a couple more little bits right at the end of it that I wanted to share with you guys. All right. Um, one little fun thing I thought was about the test screening process. Um, so Han Solo's I Know line, uh, 
as you will probably know, was not in the original script. Uh, Harrison Ford himself came up with that. And um, actually, George was not sold on that line. Um, Here's the quote. This is Irvin Kirshner talking. Here we go. George was worried about Solo's line, I know, Kirshner says. So we sneak previewed the film, and when the line came, the audience roared. George turns to me and says, you see, it's a mistake. Now the picture is over, and they're all talking about that line and how great it was. They all noticed it, so we kept it in the film. George knows what he wants, but he is very flexible and that's why I like him so much. Nice. I love hearing, you know, like uh, filmmaking can be a high pressure and difficult uh, endeavor. And, uh, you know, it's nice to hear people kind of uh, praise each other and talk about uh, talk about people in this nice way. And it, it is funny that George wasn't sold on it, uh, even up to the end of the uh, filmmaking process. All right, one more fun thing was... Um, so I, I was not aware of this, I'm, I don't think. I don't, you know... Um, when people talk about the original, you know, the theatrical... You know, release the original theatrical versions of the original trilogy, and uh, people are like, well, which version do you mean? The, you know, like... The real original version of uh, A New Hope doesn't even say A New Hope. It just says Star Wars, uh, etc., etc. It's a bit annoying, to be honest. Um, so that's quite well known about A New Hope. But I didn't realize that there, were actually, there was actually a change made to The Empire Strikes Back within its first uh, couple of weeks of being open. Now, um, people might know that films were shown in either 35mm film or 70mm film back then. Um, and they would tend to release the film first on 70mm film in select theatres uh, before they went ahead and sent out the 35mm prints. Uh, this is apparently because... Um, 35 millimeter prints were easy to pirate, but 70 millimeter prints were not. So they would, um, basically, it would limit the number of theaters that could show it in that first couple of weeks because not all theaters had the had the capability of showing 70 millimeter film. Um. But uh, that would give them at least a couple weeks of piracy-free uh, income, basically. Um, so here we go. We're gonna. I'm gonna read you. Um, yeah, people talking about what happened um, after that. Uh, the the film eventually opened and opened. Um, exclusively on 70mm film. Here we go. The film opened in 70mm in about 100 theatres, and then after a few weeks, it was going to go out in 35mm to many more theatres, says Tom Smith. Everything had died down. People had gone on vacation. There were maybe 
Thirty people left at ILM when the phone rang. It was George, and the first thing he said is, I hate to tell you this, Tom. I don't want to tell you this, but I got to tell you this. And I thought, oh, I'm getting fired. But George said, we need some more shots for Empire. <laughs> I said, wait a minute, the film's in the theaters. You're kidding me. He said, no, no, no. It's not in all the theaters. We were done with the movie, says Ralston. We went into San Francisco and had a big rap, rap party. It was great. We saw the movie and it was exciting. We were very proud of all the work everyone had done. Just turning the page. And so many long hours and I was delighted. So I was on vacation visiting my folks down in LA. When I got a phone call from Patty Blau, yeah, at ILM telling me, George wants to add some more shots. George had gone to see the movie with an audience and realized that the end of the film was unclear, Smith explains. So he needed these new shots and he couldn't do them without special effects. I said, that's funny, that's a good joke, Ralston says. But it wasn't a joke. I wound, I wound up meeting Joe Johnston at the egg company with George and designing three new shots. Um, just so you know, before I continue, what they're talking about is uh, you, at the end of the film, when you know you have Luke and Leia looking out the viewport of that Rebel cruiser, and then you get these um, shots of the Rebel fleet kind of moving off and uh, flying away. Um, these are the shots they're talking about. Apparently, they were not in the original cut. To continue, I called Joe Johnston, who was down in LA, Smith says. George was down there, and I said, Joe, go over and see George. Draw some storyboards and fax them up here right away. So he did. Meanwhile, the editing room was going crazy. My God, we don't have the music. Wow, wow. Really, everybody who heard about this thought it was a joke, but it wasn't. We had to do these shots. It took about three weeks, and the new shots were cut into the 35mm prints going to all the theaters. George saw the new shots, and he said, Wait a minute. If you guys did this so fast, why did it take so long to, <laughs> to do all the other ones? George! Putting some uh, heat on your on your crew there. All right. I thought that was quite funny and interesting because I was not aware of uh, that fact until I read that part of the book. All right. Speaking of books, Tom's Christmas presents to himself don't stop there. Um, my friend Teresa, who has been a guest on the podcast uh, in the past... Every time I would go to her place, I would look jealously at her copy of a book called, I don't know the English title, Star Wars Sound Effects or something, um, in, uh, in Swedish, it's called Star Wars Ljudeffekterna, um, and what it is, is a book that, uh, yeah, like chronicles the sound design of the Star Wars films. And it's not just a book, it, can, it has attached to it uh, an audio player. 
and um, it has some, you know, some basic stuff about the sound design and whatnot. And then um, it actually goes sound effect by sound effect, and they are numbered. And on the uh, music, oh no, music, on the audio player, these sound effects are on there with, uh, and they are numbered. So, for example, so effect number three is called C-3PO Speaks. Let's press play and see how that sounds. Did you hear that? They shut down the main reactor. We'll be destroyed for sure. Whoa. Awesome. What is it? Number four is <laughs> R2-D2 comments. All right, all right, all right. Hey, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, stop it. Yeah, man. R2D2 is a talkative dude. So, this is like, and yeah, I'm just gonna let him play in the background. It's a uh, an incredible book. And uh, now you might think, okay, that's some pretty uh, obvious, uh, obvious choices, you know, C3PO, R2D2. But there are like really obscure sounds list uh, included. So here we go. We did this at Teresa's house when she was on the on the podcast. We picked random sounds and then had to try to guess what they were. All right, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do it right now. I'm gonna play a sound. I'm gonna play. This, this is sound 38. I don't know what it's gonna be. We're gonna play the sound and then I have to guess what that sound effect is. Here we go. Oh, well, come on. Well. Well, I think we all recognize that one. That's Greedo. I don't even have to look it up in the in the in the book. That's Greedo. Okay, let's go for another one. 54. I think that is the alarm in the Falcon when the TIE Fighters are coming in. Let's have a look. 54. Yes! Millennium Falcon alarm! Woohoo! Tom wins! All right. Let's do just one more. All right. Got to pick a Star Wars number. This is 66. Let's listen. <laughs> Dude, how cool does that sound? I mean, this are you having Star Wars feelings right now? Because I am. Lightsaber battle. Don't need to look that one up either. So, I kind of wish I could have gotten an English version. Because um, I don't... Of course, reading stuff in Swedish. It's funny, like, I, reading stuff in Swedish, like, it depends if I'm reading Swedish news in Swedish, that it's great. But reading about Star Wars in Swedish just feels a little bit like, Ooh? like, uh, to me, you know, because then Star Wars is so linked to me and my own language, basically. <laughs> so it's a bit funny that way. But um, I, I, I looked up how much it would cost to buy an English version, and it was really expensive. And then I found this Swedish version on uh, 
Tradera, which is like a Swedish version of eBay, basically for 40 crowns, which is about four bucks. <laughs> uh, so four bucks plus the postage. Yeah, it ended up costing me about 10 bucks delivered. So uh, I am pretty happy about that and pretty happy that I actually got the easy, easy sound effects to guess, unlike last time when Teresa and I were pretty stumped and didn't get any of those right. Very embarrassing. All right, you guys, let's do it. I'm actually recording in my pajamas and my, my, my old pajamas were literally like they were more whole than pajama. <laughs> twisted and evil um so i bought new pajama pants and the the top that i bought to sleep in for as long as it survives is a um like a uh, a baseball style uh solo shirt um i'm such a fan of that movie and um i did an instagram post recently where i talked about how i have this like weird fandom quirk where when i buy merch from the new films, like it's more exciting to me than buying a t-shirt of like an original trilogy design. Because like A, coming out of the original trilogy, I never thought there would be more Star Wars films. Like I think, like I wasn't reading Fandango or whatever. So I didn't know that George had said like, oh, there's supposed to be six or nine or 12 of them or whatever. Um, and I, I did, I never heard rumors that it was coming back. I didn't hear rumors that Star Wars was coming back until like the official news came out that they're making more movies. So that 16 years between Return of the Jedi and The Phantom Menace, like I just assumed Star Wars was done forever. Um, so in that way, it feels exciting to buy merch for a new Star Wars film. Uh, and then when the prequels were not what uh, not to my taste at all, like I just don't like I have in my house I have a couple of Darth Maul shampoo bottles that my great friend Anna found in a garbage dump and grabbed for me. <laughs> um, love that. Um, I love those. Should I say? And the only other prequel thing I have in my house is. Um, uh, a p picture of Obi-Wan Kenobi from episode one because I have a, this nice postcard of New Hope Obi-Wan and I had a nice postcard of Phantom Menace Obi-Wan and they look nice together kind of showing the um, the evolution of the character in a way um, but I basically like I don't like those films and I just I don't like I just don't want to no don't want to don't don't want to see it. Don't not interested in buying merch for for those for the, from that era. Um, so that felt again like like Star Wars was back, but it wasn't. It was disappointing, and there was no way I was going to go buy a T-shirt of Padme Amidala or something. I just not. Um, so. When the new era began and I really love these new movies, it, it's like, it just feels like, yes, I never thought this day would come. So it's like, it's more exciting to me to buy this shirt with, um, with the olden Ehrenreich Han and uh, 
Donald Glover Lando on it than it would be to just go like buy a classic, you know, something with Vader on it or something. It just, in a way, it's like this thing has, something has happened that I never thought would happen. And that's exciting. So that leads us to solo time. So we're going to watch uh, the next scene or two from there and uh, comment and enthuse. Here we go. All right, here we go. Uh, I believe we just had a Han and Chewie meeting. That's gone like up in my favorite Star Wars moments ever, which is incredible. Saga's been going for 40 something years and something new can just really hit the mark. It's great. All right. Mm, I love the soundtrack for this film. Like, I love, it's... <laughs> yeah, the shower scene. Classic, instant classic. But I like that, you know, the fact that I really love the Rogue One and Solo soundtrack so much just makes me happy that when, you know, now that John Williams is done with Star Wars, he's not going to do any more films. Like, um, I don't, it's not this, it's not going to be a case of like, Oh, no Star Wars film will ever sound right ever again because John Williams isn't doing the music. All right, we have this scene where um, Han's in a got a blanket on. He's down in that that kind of like um, whatever that thing is thing. Okay, but uh, he and Chewie are like hanging out under the ship. As they're flying along at a gentle pace. I would say this... The dialogue here feels a little bit... Mm, acted. It feels a bit stilted to me. And I just... <laughs> It's cool. It's not bad. I, I just, I think, like, visually, I love Vandor. Um, I love snow and Star Wars. Any Anytime snow and Star Wars come together, I'm in. All right, so we got Val. Um, ah! Tandy Newton, you are a cool person. Yeah, but they're, um, yeah, so uh, Val, Beckett, and Han are basically planning the job. She mentions Emphis Nest and how they have to be careful of her, or he, he that person. They don't know it's a her at this point, I guess. Um, man, really good coats and jackets in this scene. And this, okay, if you've ever bought uh, Rob, if you've ever seen Rob Bredow's uh, making of solo book. There are a lot of gorgeous photo photos of the landscape where they shot this stuff for this film. Um, I think it's in the like Italian Alps or something. Gorgeous. Okay, this is a nice scene around the campfire. Man, Rio is cool in this scene. I love it. Yeah, I think the, the costume design in this film gets an 11 out of 10 for me. Nothing doesn't work 
costume-wise, I think, man, visually it's so good. And I love Woody Harrelson in this film. I just think like he's... I heard like a lot of people be like, eh, I don't know, Woody Harrelson is Woody Harrelson. But like, I think people who like watched every episode of Cheers have trouble maybe accepting him as something else. But I have not even watched one episode of Cheers. I've seen him in a lot of movies, obviously. But, um... <laughs> ah... I like that line where Rio's like, does she have sharp teeth? Very nice. It's weird. Like, I think that if you're not a Star Wars super fan, like this is a, just a, like a good movie. Not amazing, but really good. But I just think if you're in love with Star Wars imagery and the Star Wars vibe, this is a killer movie. <laughs> yeah, I really buy Val and Beckett as a couple. And man, is it gonna suck when we have to say goodbye to Val in a minute? And I like, I'm less. Yeah, we'll get to that part, I guess. I like Chewie's um the variation on the bandolier that he has in this movie. It's like it it crosses over both sh shoulders. It looks really cool. I like how Rio's the cook too. That's what you need, a cook with four arms. It's going to be much more um, efficient that way, I think. <laughs> now, we have the introduction of the iconic DL-44 blaster. Like, I can... I can get behind, like, when people are like, Oh, did, does this movie have to explain every single thing we know about Han in one movie? Like, how did he get the Falcon? How did he get that blaster? How did he meet Chewie? The Kessel Run, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, I can get on board with that, those criticisms, but... Man, that blaster looks cool. All right, we're doing it. We're doing the whole... Uh, we're doing the heist. This is a killer action sequence. I just think, like, it looks cool, it's exciting, it's funny. <laughs> um, uh, the all-important visual poetry is there times a million. And we'll get to those bits in a minute, but, um, yeah. Again, music is cool. I'm standing up and saying hell yes to this movie, for sure. Man, Woody Harrelson, he's, he's really... He's charming. I like him. I think every podcaster has uh, like lines and sentences that they say all the time and the people listening to their podcast are like, oh my God, why don't you say that another million times? For me, it's calling characters charming or charismatic. <laughs> Sorry, I'm probably going to... Oh, I love that Minoc roast line from Rio. Okay, these troopers... What are they called? Range troopers, I think. 
uh, with the like the magnetic boots and the fuzzy bits. I have to say, like when I saw the designs outside of the film, I was like, ooh, they look they stick. <laughs> it's not very cool. But in the film, which is where it counts, it totally works for me. I think they look awesome. Like that the kind of clunky heaviness of it works with what they are designed to do, which is to be able to walk on the outside of this train that's flying through the mountains. Um We get some nice... Ah, this... That shot there. Where Beckett... Basically, the camera spins with him as he's spinning around and opening the hatch to get behind to protect himself from the range trooper blaster shots. Really cool. There's just like... There's a certain type of movement that reads as poetic in action sequences, and that was an amazing example. Man, I love Rio. I'm so sad that he doesn't make it through this film. Such a likable character. Viper... Ah! Listen to this shit. That soundtrack. Amphis Nest. The Cloud Riders look so cool. Those swoop bikes look inc Look at that! Oh, can't believe how much I like that. Just the, like, okay, the angle. When people hold guns, there are certain ways of holding them, and the way you shoot it so that comes across on a, at a certain angle on the screen that looks cool and certain ways of doing it that looks stupid and they just get it right in this scene like every time you see Beckett or Solo shooting at something they've got the angle just right where if you did a freeze frame it would just look cool as hell I want to see the Cloud Riders back bad and I just love oh look at that Rio's shooting with two hands at once while he's flying because he's got four arms. Super cool. And I love that that's John Favreau. Like, it's just, it's nice. Like, Favreau's not the Star Wars fanatic that someone like Filoni is, but he played Pre Vizsla in The Clone Wars, he played Rio in this. He's um, clocked up a, a a big success with the with with the Mandalorian, so he's um, he's definitely um, carving himself a position as uh, one of the big names in Star Wars history. Actually, all right, these Viper droids obviously they look like the probe droids from uh, Hoth. Uh, really cool design. I think it's good, like that kind of way of, of like it's within the that that imperial um, kind of visual language. I'm into that. Um, why does she start shooting at them? I guess she wants to protect. 
in oh listen to this okay emphasis jumps rolls dodges that deflects blaster bolts with that axe thing trips him flips flipping kick chops the freaking end of his blaster off slams him off, off that carriage he flies onto the next one and immediately starts cutting through the uh the um whatever those like the cables attached bet between the AT hauler and the uh that uh, the, that that train carriage that's poetry seriously man and that's i think the kind of thing that's missing in the mandalorian it doesn't look like there's very little in the mandalorian that ca that moves and it is is cool looking and exciting as as something like this Ah, oh, we lose Rio. Really sad. Such a cool character. All right, and we're getting we're getting closer to the maybe the worst thing in this movie, which is Val's death. I think the first three times I saw the movie, I didn't understand at all what the point of it was. I didn't understand why she felt she had to. Uh, sacrifice herself it just felt like some really shit like like whether it's a result of institutionalized racism or if it's just it was ba just bad luck but like one of the first maybe the first significant like woman of color in a Star Wars movie and then you just like introduce her and then eight minutes later it's like well, I have to die now, you know. Um, but I just think, logic-wise, it made no sense to me. Why does she do that? Um, now, I think once you kind of... Once I saw it a few times, I was like, okay. It's because... Um, like... Beckett and Val have promised uh, Dryden Voss that uh, they would deliver this shipment. And as far as he concerns, he is concerned, if it doesn't work out, they don't just walk away and go, all right, better luck next time. He, they actually owe him that shipment. Maybe he bankrolled the job. So he feels like there's a financial side to it as well. I don't know. But... Um, it was, uh, yeah, it's a thing of like, we either provide him with the shipment or the financial equivalent, or we're all dead because he will hunt us down un you know, unless we pay, which we can't possibly do. You know. um, so she felt, I guess she felt that by sacrificing herself and making sure the job got done, that, um, that Beckett would leave. But it's a bit like, Okay, yeah, but as if you would not just go like, all right, we're, we're kind of screwed here, but let's just disappear then. It's a big galaxy. We'll go somewhere and hope no one, that he doesn't catch up with us. There's a pretty good chance we can make that work. And if I kill myself right now, there's a 100% chance I'm dead. <laughs> so it does seem ridiculous, even though I could explain it better later on. And she's just a cool character. It's too bad that we had to say goodbye to her. But uh, it's part of the story, obviously.
it kind of needs to happen in a way for the rest of the film to work. Uh, more cool shots just then of Emphis and the Cloud Riders and then a really cool explosion. And um, I think in the behind the scenes, they, they talk about that and they basically detonated ex small explosives underwater and filmed that. And that's what they used to get that very unique looking explosion effect. Uh, so that was cool. Um, yeah. Then we have this scene here where Beckett's basically explaining to Solo what kind, what level of deep shit they're in now because they they didn't they couldn't hold on to the shipment. Hmm. I gotta. I'm gonna say again how good Chewie looks. Man, he looked awful in episode three so thank god they have redeemed themselves like, i would say in the force awakens he looked really good but i think they've really even um improved on the look of chewy since then like force awakens chewy was a nine or a nine and a half out of ten for me but in this film he's it's a 10 out of 10 he looks so right fantastic hmm all right, I think we're going <laughs> to wind down on this scene. There's a lot of very like western western looking shots, I would say in this scene. Especially when you get like a coming up there's a really nice long shot of them uh, walking together. Very much like a kind of western desert plain kind of shot. Yeah, there it is right there. Wow, what a great shot. Look at that. Makes me glad to have bought this big bloody TV. All right, we're going to leave it there. Folks, I've had a good time. To be honest, I'm battling back problems again. I wasn't sure how in how much Star Wars fun I, I, was, I would be able to muster, but why don't you start talking Star Wars? You're having a good time, you know? All right, so uh, we'll be back soon, I hope. Um, looking forward to more news as it comes out about the new shows. Um, I am right now re-watching The Mandalorian. I'm still on season one, so we'll probably talk about that next episode as well. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. This has been Star Wars fun for everyone, especially me. Hey!